Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to your Sunday night with Speed City. This is John Massingale. I'm sitting in the studio in Austin, and I am joined by Mr. Bob Varsha over Zoom. How are you, Mr. Varsha? I'm doing great. I've been working on my Jonathan Green impression, but it's not <laughs> quite ready yet. So uh, in the meantime, my voice doesn't oh, go no. that high. It's basically oh, a problem. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, we will hear from Jonathan Green later on because he's down in New Zealand for the, uh, the the Toyota Racing Series, which has now been renamed for this year as the Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship. And that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, I want to find out who came up with that name and punch him in the nose. The Toyota Gazoo Racing New Zealand Formula Regional Oceana Championship. Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> Uh, Shut your mouth. <laughs> there's a bunch of good stuff with that, though, including a pile of super license points that are now part of that. So that's really cool. Oh, well, I'm going yeah. to run down what we're going to talk about because we have a cool show tonight. I'm very excited. We've got a lot more on the Andretti Cadillac Formula One story because we have Nathan Brown, who is with the Indy Star and with USA Today. And he's the guy that broke that story back on December 7th about that Michael Andretti saying that they would have news by Christmas. Well, they didn't quite make Christmas, but it wasn't long after that we all heard about the news with Andretti and Cadillac and General Motors. And uh, so Nathan, it was so funny. When he broke that story, it, it really kind of gently broke. And I saw it the day we talked about it, started tweeting about it, and I was like, we need more followers because this is a huge story. So anyway, we've got Nathan Brown going to join us in the second segment today. And we're also going to talk a lot about the Rolex 24, because that's coming up on us fast. Really excited mm -hmm. about that. I've been doing lots of digging in on the new uh, GTP um, class with the LMDH hybrid system and lots of cool stuff with that. And uh, speaking of the New Zealand championship, that Formula Regionals down there, the Oceania, uh, we have Chloe Chambers, an American, one of four Americans racing in the in their series down there this year. And we'll talk all about that series because if you don't know about it, you should because there's been lots of Formula One drivers that that came through that little winter series on their path to stardom. So, But we've got Chloe Chambers, an American one of four. So we're going to have her later on. And we have lots of Formula One stories, including comments from Toto Wolf. And uh, we have an exclusive clip that I caught up with Bobby Epstein to ask him about the Andretti story and a couple other things. So we're going to hear from Bobby Epstein later in the show. But I want to start with the Rolex 24 at Daytona because in a couple of weeks' time, that's going to be all the headlines. And, Bob, I really am excited about it because there's lots of new cool stuff. We have a big field. There's lots of new technology. So I'm, I'm fired up about it. I am too. Um, IMSA has come a long way. They've gotten their arms linked with the folks from the Automobile Club of the West who organized the Le Mans 24 Hours. Uh, they have classes that now allow racers from the United States to go over there and race and vice versa. And as a result, this has got to be one of the best Rolex 24-hour events ever. Another incredible lineup of driving talent, not only in the brand new LMH, LMDH, or uh, as IMSA chooses to call them, GTP, Grand Touring Prototype, which is a throwback to the early 80s when I got involved with sports car racing. Uh, and those were golden days. So they've got the new 
fancy hybrid prototypes, LMP2, LMP3, and two classes of GT Daytona. Those are the volume produced cars, Ferrari, Mercedes, what have you. And uh, one class for highly trained and distinguished professionals and the other for uh, well-resourced but effective amateur drivers. It's gonna be a terrific race and I can't wait. Well, I, you just talk about that last class uh, my son is a mechanic on the Inception McLaren team, and mm -hmm. they're the only McLaren in the field this year of all those 61 cars. And I was talking to him yesterday and today. He came <clears> by <throat> my house and got some tools out of his shop, and uh, they've got a pile of parts headed out there. And, you know, it's funny. Before the show, we were talking, Bob, about years ago how uh, there used to be some kind of, kind of some ragtag teams. Well, you know, these guys – in particular, this Inception team is a very, very well-equipped, well-organized team. And, you know, that's just the way it is in IMSA now, especially at a big one like Daytona. There are some, even the small teams have big resources and, I mean, even some big names involved in, in up and down. So it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not like the old days. Yeah, you've got, uh, well, at the pointy end of the uh, spear, you've got, Two cars from Roger Penske, two cars from Chip Ganassi, one from the uh, Mike Sharp team, the Acura team that has won this race a number of times, one new Acura from Wayne Taylor Racing, who has won the race a bunch. And you mentioned we used to have a lot of ragtag teams out there. Back in 1980, when I first started getting involved, we had something like 84 entries and 79 starters. And a lot of them were, I mean, you know, like the boys who uh, who race for beers on a Saturday night, I mean, get together and whack together a uh, Chevy Camaro or something and, <laughs> and go to Daytona and race with the big boys. But you can't do that anymore. Number one, uh, the track can't allow it. <laughs> Number two, the quality of cars is so good. I mean, you're racing Ferrari and Lamborghini and Corvette, not to mention all of the prototypes and the LMP3, which is the lowest uh, prototype class, then LMP2. Both of those classes use a lot of common parts, common engines, chassis from designated chassis building companies. And then, of course, the stars of the show are the GTP cars uh, from great manufacturers, great lineups of drivers, and, you know, the equivalent of close to a thousand horsepower from these hybrid powertrains. So it's going to be just terrific. The only thing I wish they'd do is reverse the habit of the last decade or so and turn out the lights at the track at night. We used to race in the dark <laughs> at Daytona. And this time of year, there's more dark than daylight, unlike Le Mans in June when it's mostly daylight. At Daytona, it gets, as an old friend of mine used to say, country dark and the headlights <laughs> flying around the high banks at 200 miles an hour, cars trying to stay out of each other's way and looking for that looming GTP car rocketing up your butt. It's just the most exciting thing. And, if it's not on anybody's bucket list within the sound of my voice, you really should check out the 24 hours of Daytona. Nobody sits in the grandstands. Everybody goes down to field level to push up against the fences and watch these cars go by within a stone's throw. Great I, stuff. I know, Bob. I actually I started inquiring about credentials, and I decided I just couldn't make the time to make it work. In fact, I even got a really nice email from them back going, Hey, we, you know, we know who you guys are and everything, but are you, are you hundred percent sure you're coming? Because apparently it is a really tight place and they can only have so much oh, media. Yeah. 
So I bowed out quickly. I just said, look, I was going to kind of come on a whim. And I just said, don't worry about it. Don't worry. You know, so, uh, but one day I will get out there because I've never done it. And I really, I definitely want to do that. But I, I, I took some, some notes on the new GTP class, Bob, with this, you know, with the new hybrid system. And it's a, uh, a spec, basically core. They call it a spine, you know, like a tub where it's got the Bosch mandated MGU, a common spec seven speed X track. And uh, and then everybody just bolts on all their their body work and liveries and I think suspensions like we talked about before the show. But I was noticing that the Porsche 963, which, of course, is a, a nod back to the mid 80s, 962s. I, I noticed Porsche will sell you one for two point nine million dollars, a basically a full package um, 963 LMDH car, and it includes a a full factory support of a team. And I thought that was pretty cool. And one other thing that jumped out at me is how all the GTP cars now are using a VP fuels, a renewable R80. And I tried to do a, I spent 10 minutes digging, trying to find some more information and could not find anything yet. I'm going to keep looking into that just for my own knowledge. Cause I want to find out how they're doing it. Are they, how they're making it renewable. Yeah. So well, it's a biofuel, essentially, I think. It's non-fossil based, if you will. Um, and it's a direction a lot of uh, series are going. I mean, the lower formula in, yep. in uh, European open wheel racing is going there. I'm sure down the road, IndyCar in this country will go there. Formula One with the new engine regulations in 2026, I'm sure are going to be asked to switch to a sustainable fuel. It's, um, yeah, it's an exciting development. It's an exciting time, and I can't wait to see how all this plays out. Everything from you know how how the sports car guys keep the ICE, the internal combustion engines, with maybe sustainable fuels along with hybrids and stuff. It's really going to be cool. All right, we are up against a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Nathan Brown with us from the Indy Star and USA Today. You're listening to your Sunday night with Speed City, and we'll be back after these messages. All right, we're still live on YouTube, and if the producer wants to bring in Mr. Nathan Brown. He can do that. How are you guys on YouTube? One of those uh, new Porsches has already been purchased or committed to by an outfit called JDC Racing. So we're going to see more of those cars as soon as Penske proves them to be as good as we all expect. Yep. Uh, Well, we are live on YouTube still. We're on a break on the radio, but we have Nathan. How are you, Nathan? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. great. Well, thank I hope you. You don't think I'm that grumpy old man who sent you the email <laughs> about the uh, about the Formula One cars built in America. I had <laughs> I uh, had been away on vacation and got back and saw that, and I apologize I didn't get back to you about that. Oh, that okay. uh, that was, I think, a quote from Michael that I'm honestly sure. I just took from took for what it was and. Didn't really have the ability yeah. to Michael Otto. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Didn't have the or, easy ability to go and and fact check it, and so that. But the, I appreciate you sending me that. Well, I thought of a third team too, as a third car that okay. was built out in California. Okay. All right, here we go. Coming out of the break. Hi, this is Max Steppen, and you're listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. All right, welcome back to your Sunday night with Speed City. I want to welcome to the show, I've become a fanboy of this gentleman because I started watching his, watching, reading his coverage 
a couple, three years ago, really, and then really closely during the Andretti thing and the Andretti Cadillac developments. And Nathan Brown has, uh, has really caught my attention. He writes for the Indy Star newspaper in the USA Today and has really done a great job. Nathan, welcome to Speed City. Thank you guys for having me on this evening. Well, we appreciate it. And you broke this story, Nathan. Correct me if I'm wrong. In my mind, you did, because on December 7th, you did an article about the new Andretti headquarters and that you had gotten to speak with several people at, including Michael Andretti, at this event. And you started uh, talking about all things that I had never heard of, including Guggenheim and... Uh, and the fact, the big bomb was that, that you got Michael to say, we're hoping in the next couple of weeks and it would be a nice Christmas present to have word about their Formula One efforts. Did I get that right? Did you break all that? Yeah, that was correct. Um, it was a great chance to talk to Michael. I hadn't gotten a chance to talk to him about their Formula One project in, in quite some time. And that was a great opportunity at their groundbreaking ceremony in Fishers to get a, a good update. His uh, Christmas present, at least publicly, didn't come to fruition, but it was not uh, more than a couple weeks before we got word that he and uh, General Motors, specifically Cadillac, were pushing forward to try and um, submit an official entry to the expressions of interest process that the FIA is planning to open here soon. Um, as we, um, as I wrote there, as you mentioned there, they've got uh, some great funding partners to build this $200 million facility that should be up and running here by early 2025. And uh, as Mario Andretti said at that ceremony, they expect it to be one of the best motor racing facilities in the entire world. So excited to see what that looks like and excited to see um, not only what types of racing teams they host there, but what kind of cars they might be building, including potentially for this Formula One project that they have up in the air right now. Uh, Nathan, did Michael say anything about NASCAR at that opportunity you had to talk with him? Because I've seen quotes from him since that eventually NASCAR Cup racing is on his to-do list as well. So it's funny. So at the time, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of, I talked to Michael a year ago, right when they were on the cusp of that Sauber deal that ended up falling through at the 11th hour. And he mm -hmm. talked, you know, at that time, just kind of about um, the process of building his race team. And we all know that, you know, he'd been close a couple of times on a NASCAR project. And he'd said at that point, Point, you know, that that was just kind of generally always on their, you know, on their radar, but nothing super specific. But at that groundbreaking ceremony in early December, there was uh, a Fisher's city councilman that had a, a slip of the tongue and actually said that they were already in NASCAR. And uh, I, I can't remember a politician rem getting his facts mixed up. <laughs> exactly. It was, uh, I think it was um, Michael that caught Come it first on, and said, man. well, we're not there yet, but uh, Mario said, yeah. well, we could be there too. So, you know, it's it's certainly <laughs> something that they're interested in. And I know the quotes that you're referring to that um, mm -hmm. Forbes initially ran this week that said that that's something that they are, are keenly looking at and certainly wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in a couple of years along with their hopeful Formula One and Formula One entry, if that was not a place that they were able to find a way to um, sneak into one way or the other. Yeah. I have to confess, when, when I read the article and I saw they were going to build at the Indianapolis airport, I assumed that meant Indianapolis International. 
-hmm. And all my Indianapolis friends laughed at me when I said that because they said it's no Fishers is northeast of the city and it's the Indianapolis Metropolitan Airport. Now, is that airport capable enough, uh, if that's the right phrase, uh, to be a factor in what the Adretti global operation does in terms of flying product in and out? I, I don't think that airport is super important to that effect. Really, I think what it comes down to is that airport, um, you know, whoever owns and, and operates it has had mm -hmm. a lot of land that over the last couple of years, they've been hoping to be able to sell off um, to continue to revitalize the and grow the city of Fishers and mm -hmm. um, open up the you know that specific area of the city to some commercial development some um things in the city that could generate people flocking to it whether it's you know restaurants or um small shopping malls and this andretti project with the fact that they're going to have you know this italian restaurant and this museum and this amphitheater <laughs> um it's going to be right on this um multi-use you know, walking, biking, running right. trail that they have there in Fishers. So it's going to be right in this hub of this up and coming area in this mm -hmm. city um, that I think will be really cool because often you see, you know, for folks that have been in Indianapolis, if you're driving around and kind of wondering where a lot of these race team shops that are located here, they're mm -hmm. oftentimes in these business parks that aren't really super obvious. They're not in these mm -hmm. great places right. where you can, um, you know, notice them very easily and the way i envision this andretti global facility here in a couple of years i think it can be um a really center uh, a really great center of activity for the the fishers community which will be really cool to see especially if of course they have a, a formula one team that is primarily operating out of there mm. sounds like a good place for a test track right outside the back door possibly <laughs> i'm sure they've got plenty of space for it yeah, mm -hmm. we've seen that kind of thing in Austin, Nathan. We've seen, uh, like, uh, my son took me to this place, and he's going, this is, like, one of the premier carbon fiber shops in town. And I pull up, and I'm like, this building? It's, like, this, <laughs> it's a completely nondescript, and you go in and go, wow, it blows you away. But, mm -hmm. hey, I want to I read yeah. a couple of those quotes we were just talking about from Michael Andretti, because the first one's where he talks about money. Uh, these were the ones that he said to Forbes uh, earlier this week, I think it was like Monday or Tuesday, he says, it's all about money. He says, first, they're going to get diluted one-tenth of their prize money, but then they also get very greedy, thinking we'll take all the American sponsors well, as well. And that's, of course, Michael Andretti talking about all the other F1 teams. He said, it's all about greed and looking at themselves and not looking at what is best for the overall growth of the series. And, you know, I this has been Michael's M.O. from from, I guess, February, I guess this all started when Fe Mario tweeted on February 15th or something last year that they, that this mm -hmm. was all going to happen. But then the other quote that he said um, was, he says, we've been working, and he was talking about the announcement and, and how they chose to do the announcement when they did. And he said, we've been working on this announcement for a while, Cadillac GM, he says, but when the president of the FIA, Mohammed bin Salim, issued his tweet supporting our effort, that is when we decided to make the announcement. Once they make an expression of interest, then we are in competition with other teams. And that expression of interest, of course, is the official process. He says, we're on our way because that means we'll do, we will do an extra team. So it's been interesting to watch that. And as soon as I saw that tweet from Mohammed bin Salim, I think it was like on the Monday or Tuesday of that week, 
I immediately we thought, okay. And then what was it? 48 hours later that Andretti announced it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but Andrew, uh, Nathan, I want to ask you some other, some other things here. I, I wrote down some of the things that Andretti has done in the last year since Mario's tweet last year. And I put down the IPO funding, which hasn't been talked about recently. And I, and maybe you can shed some light. Maybe that has something to do with Guggenheim or others. But they did the IPO funding. They they broke down on the new $200 million headquarters. They've started hiring staff. The news that they've partnered with Guggenheim, and they've partnered with GM and Cadillac. So they came out, and then they basically got, you know, shunned by F1 and saying, you know, really by, shunned by, by saying there's no news really at all except that, that they're looking at it, they're looking at it. So did I get that right? And did I miss any other major things that have happened? I mean, I would say the the only other really big thing, and we continue to hear it referenced, um, you know, even, what is it, eight, nine months um, later on, that Michael was present at the Miami Grand Prix to the level of um, walking around the paddock with a, a sheet of paper that he was, yeah. um, although it was an informal petition that had no, you know, legal, uh, weight by any stretch of the imagination was trying to, uh, garner the signatures of the team principals of the 10 current formula one teams in the paddock, just essentially to symbolize that they supported his push to join the series in the near future. he, um famously you know only publicly on that document only got the signatures of zach brown from mclaren and Mm -hmm. lauren rossi from alpine which are the two teams that you would expect you know it's not it's no secret that um at least at some point we're not sure right now where things stand uh but at one point when michael was planning to come in on his own that they would have uh an engine deal with renault alpine's team um and of course michael and, and zach go way back and are partners with the australian mm-hmm. supercars team walking and ready um so there's uh you know there's I, I guess that was the the biggest thing we've heard some vague references from some reporters over um, in Europe about how folks, either the the team principals or officials in uh, the Formula One management group with Liberty Media that haven't been super happy with the way that Michael has gone about trying to garner support for this project. And I think that was a really big lightning rod moment where, you know, he's being very public was going out literally in the open. I was the, really the first person that was able to kind of see and spot him in the paddock in Miami and frankly, just walked up to him and, you know, and asked what he was doing. He showed us the document and it was um, an interesting way to go about things, very public, very open, very honest. Um, something that drew drew a good amount of media attention and frankly i think there are still some folks in that paddock that were just rubbed the wrong way about trying to use the public um from a pressure standpoint or from a media standpoint to try and continue to push uh to try to get this across the finish line and for whatever reason there's a lot of folks over there that haven't been super happy that that was the way he went about things Mm. yeah that's so american we don't knock on doors we kick them in (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I've had a lot of experience with that over the years in international motorsports. But there were a couple of other things that were mentioned in some of the many articles that you mentioned, Nathan, being written. Uh, one was that a lot of the teams think a $200 million 
dilution fund, if you want to call it, um, is nothing compared to what it costs compared with other major sports around the world. I mean, you try to get into, uh, you know, Premier League soccer or uh, just here in the United States domestically, NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball. It shouldn't be a $200 million entrance fee. It should be a $600 million entrance fee because that's what those are the kinds of numbers they deal with. Uh, and I was particularly struck, and we'll, we'll hear from Toto Wolf later on, about how Andretti has, if I'm hearing him right, has done exactly the right thing. We needed to know what kind of impact they were going to have on the sport. They've got GM and Cadillac. That's a statement. That, uh, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. I think they were worried the Cadillac was going to put a you know, $20 million name on someone else's engine and get the benefits of Formula One. But apparently Toto and hopefully others have been educated to the fact that Cadillac really is in this with both hands and both feet. Is that yeah. the impression you get? I mean, that was the impression that I got from the initial press conference, press conference that we had just a little over a week ago, you know, um, though they didn't have maybe a ton of specific details, they were open and honest and said, you know, when we come in, whenever we are given entry to the sport, we will, you know, we already have a signed agreement with another engine manufacturer that we will use to kick off our program. But as the years go by, um, you know, I'm obviously summarizing here. They said that they have plans to ramp up and it was also not as if they were planning to just use this as a, a marketing ploy. You know, they referenced um, a couple different technological centers here in the U.S., one in Michigan, one in North Carolina that they planned to, uh, you know, both help Andretti build cars out of and also, I believe, assist whatever engine manufacturer that they had signed on with to produce that technology and get it to the the level that it needs to be in formula one. So I, you know, I, I certainly never felt like this was GM just coming in to write whatever check it would cost to slap a sticker on and, and call this engine their own. But that was, um, you know, from some of the articles that came out a couple, you know, over that weekend and into Monday of last week, from some reporters that were talking to folks inside the the current Formula One paddock, that was definitely the sentiment that they got. At least I don't i I didn't come across that way. I don't know why that was just the general assumption. We don't have the specifics of Andretti's project, and I would assume that they maybe don't necessarily either. There's expressions of interest process hasn't opened up, so I'm sure whenever that does, Michael and General Motors and their team will. I'm sure I have a very specific plan to present to the FIA and Formula One management team about exactly how they plan to go about this, but that was never something that was made public. So I really do feel like that was a lot of assumptions from folks and um, some rumors that really kind of took off when I don't know that there are a whole lot of people out there that really truly know exactly the, you know, the five or say maybe even 10 year plan of what Mm -hmm. uh andretti global and general motors are hoping to do with this if they were to gain entry in a couple of years you know, it's interesting because you talked about the power units as soon as this came out i thought okay they've, they've done the they signed the deal with Renault. they said they were they'd done a deal but then i know i looked up the relationships with Renault and cat and gm 
And then I saw that last year that Renault and Nissan, who had that long-time relationship, and GM kind of broke up. They had a, a divorce of sorts. And then I noticed that Honda and GM had just signed a big new agreement to do with electric vehicles. And, you know, Cadillac has had a lot of traction, no pun intended, with the new electric Lyric. And, you know, the, the, and, and even this uh, uh, flagship Cadillac, and they're all going to be electric. And you think about what's about to happen in Formula One with the, the new power units having more and more electric power. So I think that makes sense for GM to spend a lot more money in engineering in Formula One. I think it's going to be, if I'm remembering correctly, from the it's like 60% electric power now in Formula One uh, in 20, starting in 26. But because of that Honda relationship that they just signed, I thought, okay, this looks like Honda. But we have no idea. Obviously, nobody knows for sure. But I really thought that was really interesting. But uh, well, Nathan, we're we're almost done with this segment. But I, if you've got any other thoughts before we uh, before we let you go, I, I know you said you could you could stay with us for, for a segment. So anything else you can think of on this story? Um, let me think here. I mean, I think this is certainly something that's that's not going to go away. I think we're going to continue to see um, ebbs and flows of this storyline. Certainly, whenever. Michael and his team at Andretti Global um, get the green light to actually submit their program to this expressions of interest process that the FIA, I think, says will take a couple months. Um, that'll be, you know, I, I certainly think that the FIA will do their due diligence. Certainly seems like the president is generally in support of what Michael is doing, but this will be a time where everyone at the FIA will get a, a full idea of what they have in store. And then it's really going to come down to um, how Michael can try to get the decision makers uh, at the Formula One management group, the, what we think of as Formula One specifically, how he, he can get them on their side. As we've seen through some of their statements and quotes on the record that um, Stefano Domenicali and some others have given. They've pushed back at the idea that they even need another team whenever Michael has been solely on the forefront. And then as he's continued to gain momentum, as some other teams and operations are in the background, um, you know, kind of rumored to be looking at Formula One in a couple years, there's um, now been the idea that you know, they're pushing this idea that Andretti is not the only one looking at this. So um, I think it's going to be incredibly important that Michael can get some of those uh, big wigs, those decision makers at Formula One on his side. It's not necessarily team principals, but it's really those folks that run the commercial arm of Formula One. And if that doesn't happen, I don't know that this goes through. So I, I think hopefully we will see him take a little bit of a different approach and maybe once a lot more of these facts about exactly how he plans to run this come to the surface, at least privately behind the scenes and those presentations he gives those folks, those will be the key moments that we will where we will see whether or not we see this team push through to the finish line in a couple of years. Well, speaking Is of this those... going to be your beat going forward, Nathan, what was that? Is this going to be your beat going forward, the <laughs> it, saga? You know, it certainly will continue to be. Every every moment that um, you know, this we kind of seen see twists and turns in the road. Um, this will be something I will be paying a, a lot of attention to as I continue to 
um, put a lot of my time and effort into IndyCar. That's my my main beat. But anything that Andretti has to do anywhere in this motorsports world, particularly in Formula One, because it's so big here, um, it's a mm-hmm. just a, a no brainer of something that we'll be paying a lot of attention to at uh, IndyStar, and we'll continue to have news uh, and thoughts, analysis, um, and hopefully be answering some questions for folks about uh, how this process is going to continue to go. Well, Nathan, thank you so much. And if you're watching and listening, you follow Nathan because he has some fantastic information. Like I said, he broke the story. And uh, and Nathan, we'll be, I don't think I've done a show since last year, February, that we haven't mentioned Andretti Formula One. <laughs> so we follow this very closely and we will keep an eye. I'm going to set your Twitter on notifications so it pops up <laughs> on my phone every time you tweet. Thank you. Where Nathan. can people follow you, Nathan? Yeah. How do they What's your it? handle? Where can people? Yeah, on Twitter, um, but at by underscore Nathan Brown is my Twitter handle. Um, and you can read all of my content at IndyStar.com. Um, we will continue. I'll actually plan to have a another update on this Andretti story, at least one, if not more, later this week. So if that's a, a story that you're keenly interested in, please continue to check back there and, and follow my Twitter account, and we will continue to monitor this story as it develops awesome nathan thank you very much we appreciate you coming on thanks guys for having me all right everybody we're going to take a break when we come back we'll have some more formula one stories and more you're listening to sunny night with speed city back after these messages all right we're still live on youtube but uh that was awesome and i have a bunch of little stories little comments on youtube i want to touch on um uh, let's see. Bob Varsha has, Frank says, Bob Varsha has spoken the gospel about Daytona, especially when the lights were out. That race is a bucket list event. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Wesman says, can everyone join me in wishing a speedy recovery to Jenny Gao? We're about to talk about that. Yeah. Just really knocked me off my chair when I read that. Uh, TW still waiting on his hat. <laughs> uh, we sent him a hat to Thailand. Supply chain issues, Kyle. Supply chain issues. <laughs> All right, we're coming back. We had a short break. Hello, I'm Jenny Gow from BBC F1. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Yes, that was Jenny Gow that brought us back. And uh, we've had Jenny on the show before. But if you haven't heard, she had a really traumatic traumatic, uh, medical event happen. And I think I can get the producer to put this tweet up on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. But... I'm going to read her tweet because uh, it was pretty, pretty emotional. She says, hi, everyone. Been quiet the last few weeks. This is because I suffered a serious stroke two weeks ago. My husband is helping me type this as I'm finding it hard to write, and my speech is most affected. I'm desperate to make a full recovery and turn to work, but it might take some time. Thank you to the medical teams at uh, Frimley and St. George's and my families and friends who've got me through the last fortnight. And that was really, uh, that was really a shock because I know, I know Jenny's, you know, relatively young. I don't know exactly how old she is, but mm-hmm. you know, you think of a stroke as being something typically mm, you know, <laughs> someone older, but uh, I'm really, um, I really was taken aback and really want to wish her thoughts and prayers to get better. Cause I know, I mean, people started like on <clears throat> comments galore immediately on our channels too. So yeah. I worked with Jenny at the uh, Race of Champions in Miami a few years back. 
She's a wonderful person. Um, she says she's having trouble writing and speaking. That is the crux of what Jenny does. She yep. is a journalist. So this is a tremendous blow. She is also a wife and a mother and a daughter and on and on and on. And so this is a, uh, a, a tremendously upsetting thing, not only for the motorsports community, but for her family as well. So yeah, our thoughts are all with Jenny and uh, we wish her a very quick and complete recovery. Yeah, we'll be keeping, uh, keeping you guys updated on that. All right, well, let's move on because I got to catch up with Bobby Epstein the other day, and I, I texted him and I said, hey, Bobby, give me a call about this Andretti story. I want to get your comments. And, of course, I'm driving down the interstate when Bobby calls me. So I whip over to the side of the road and I put my iPhone on speaker and I turn on the recording device on my iWatch and I got his comments because he said, I'm about to go to meeting after meeting. And, of course, being the CEO of a massive organization, he doesn't have time to mess around with me. So I did get to get a few minutes with Bobby Epstein, and let's hear those now. I think the partnership's a beautiful move by the Andretti Group, and it's a brilliant decision by Cadillac to join up. Cadillac has a history uh, with racing that goes back even farther than the Andrettis. I think they started racing in the 50s. And they have a brand that constantly pursues the relevance that a younger demographic, I think, uh, brings that they're trying to reach. So I think it's it's fantastic, and it, it meets the criteria, I think, that the F1's dream of growing in the Americas and in the U.S. Uh, I mean, you got you got both the manufacturer and the and the pedigree. It's it seems to be a perfect alignment. Well, there's a lot of buzz about the drive to survive and how that's driven a lot of influence about the growth of Formula in the United States. But you guys have made a massive influence on this. How much influence do you think you've had on all this new growth and, and even on this decision by Cadillac to partner with Andretti? I think we gave them a cornerstone to build on and you've got to start somewhere. And that, and that cornerstone is a, a pretty good starting spot. And I think we built as much as trying to build the popularity of the sport, the best we could really do was build an event and I think we created a great event and it, it was well received and then for the sport the things that F1 has done and, and things Netflix has done to expose the sport to more uh, to a wider audience has been something that we benefited from you know Bobby the last couple of years you guys have had unbelievable record crowds biggest of all time 400,000 and then 440,000 if this Andretti Cadillac deal does go through, I, I'm kind of joking, but just how many people could you guys fit in your many acres that you have out there? Well, we stopped selling last year, not because our capacity ran out around the track, but we stopped because the roads we know around us, uh, we wanted to see how they hold up. We got one new road, get another new one, we can go higher. And uh, just getting people to take the, the buses and to prove that system works, uh, and that we have, we can get our food service right. And those are the logistics that we have to work out. And I think we've made great progress there. And so we can certainly go higher. Well, any final thoughts on this Andretti Cadillac partnership, uh, Bobby? Because I, I just, we couldn't be more excited about it. Well, we couldn't be more excited about it either. I mean, Mario was our original ambassador and the first guy to drive on the track. And, and he had great, great things to say about what was built here both for the fans and the drivers so so our our relationship there is a really good one 
and we're so fond of those guys that uh, I don't think they could have picked a better partner, and we're so excited about it. Well, thanks, Bobby. I appreciate it. Yeah, congrats to you guys on this because it's going to be a good thing for you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, John. Some people, but if you just think back to 2012, or really 2010, when they started planning all this, and then they built a permanent home for Formula One in the United States, they showed that they were smart and flexible because it started off like a bang, and then it kind of softened a little bit, and then they figured out how to build the show around it and grow it and grow it, and then Liberty Media came in, and you know this was seven years later from the genesis of CODA, and bought the series, so I don't think that's too much of a stretch, but um, I, I just wanted to get Bobby's take on it because, like I said, of our excitement. And, I, and I'd forgotten that Mario had been the ambassador. I knew he was for at least a year or two there. Yeah, he's, um, as the CEO, president, whatever his title is, at Circuit of the Americas, Bobby Epstein has certainly contributed to the growth of Formula One in the United States in a very big way. And he's in an interesting position now because Circuit of the Americas is basically the cornerstone of a three-race tour of America, if you will, for the world championship. And I think it's, um, you know, in the space of a decade, it's become sort of the, the grand dam of the uh, Formula One circuits in the United States, the way places like Watkins Glen used to be. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that continues while Miami and Las Vegas bring a lot of glitz to the game being basically street circuits, temporary circuits. Um, Circuit of the Americas sits out there on the, the prairie or whatever you'll call it there in Texas. <laughs> and uh, it's a very good, different kind of environment. You know, it's cowboy country. It's uh, UT Longhorns. It's whatever you'd like to make of it. You know, great motorsports traditions in Texas. A.J. Foyt, Jim yeah. Hall, the Body Brothers, and on and on and on. There's a, there's a lot there to enjoy in Texas. And uh, thanks to Bobby and his staff for, you know, bringing it to us. Yeah. And uh, I remember the first time when the announcement came that day, I jumped in my car and drove out to that pasture. I would have called it. It was a cow pasture and there wasn't anything out there. It looks quite different. Well, hey, we got a couple of stories that I don't want to miss before we go to the next segment. One of them is Williams announcement about their new uh, their new team, the new executive. What do you think about this, Bob? I think it's a great choice. Um, You know, James Voles has been a chief strategist for Mercedes Formula One team through all of their championships. Uh, So he's obviously impeccably credentialed for that role, but now he's gonna take on a team principal role. He's going to be able to spread his wings in the way that most ambitious young Formula One um, engineers, if you will, and executives want to do. And uh, I think he's gonna do a great job. I think it speaks volumes for Toto Wolf from Mercedes that they were happy to send him on his way, kind of like, you know, pushing the young ones out of the nests. They're like, uh, like famous coaches in <laughs> football here yeah. in the United States at a coaching tree. And they send out, you know, former assistants who become great head coaches in their own right. I think there's a really useful metaphor there. And I don't think James Voles will be the last guy to leave Mercedes for, uh, for greater ambitions. That's a, luck to that's a great the coaching analogy, how, you know, you've got Belichick and all the people that work for him and uh, and at Alabama. Um, oh, I can't even remember that. Um, but anyway, that's a Bear Bryant, <laughs> but, but after Bear, the current coach, Nick Saban. Yeah, so. Nick Saban. Uh, but yeah, great analogy. Well, hey, I want to shift gears. Before we go to the next segment, uh, we have a guest in our next segment. 
But this is a good lead-in because she is down in New Zealand, and Jonathan and I got we got uh, we caught up a little bit earlier today, and he gave us a little prep for this next segment. Let's hear from Jonathan. It's all Toyota racing down in New Zealand, and it's awesome. You've been there for many years. It's a great place to see young and upcoming drivers. Yeah, and it really is back with a vengeance because uh, for the last couple of years under COVID, obviously New Zealand very clamped down, but it's great to have international racing. We've got uh, stars from Brazil, Britain, Australia, New Zealand, and four drivers from America. The first time we've had so many drivers wow. from America, so really exciting. That's a big deal. We got four I mean, it's occasionally been one. I don't think we've ever had more than what, maybe two, but this is cool to have four young Americans. Yeah, and we've certainly not had an American winning the feature race and now leading the championship after the first round here at Highlands Park on the Southern Island um, after the weekend's uh, racing. Well, yeah, let's talk about what's gone on so far. I mean, because tell them, give everybody an overview of the series, how it's basically a whole season compressed into like five weeks. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's now the uh, Formula Regional Oceana Series, but that might be a, a bit of a mouthful, but more importantly, it carries 18 super license points for the winner over five weeks. Now, that sounds like a too easy, but it is 15 races over five weeks, race after, you know, weekend after weekend. So straight from here in Highlands, we've done three races. We're now going south again to the southernmost tip of New Zealand, uh, and we're doing three more races. So it's pretty intense and mentally very fatiguing and physically very fatiguing for the drivers. But um, it's a full season uh, in just five weeks. And like you say, you're halfway to Formula One if you win it. Yeah, you just stole what I was going to say, halfway there. Well, so talk about how many races have gone on so far, who's leading what, how are the Americans doing? Yeah, um, we have had three races. Um, the first race was won by uh, New Zealander Callum Hedge, who's also been a champion in New Zealand in tin tops before now, but he's still a youngster at just 19. But he's looked very good. If, if anybody was a favorite right now, I'd say it was Callum. Um, he had a DNF, unfortunately, he got a, a bent rocker um, in the third race. So he's not leading the championship, but he's been fastest every session and won the first race and was polled for the feature race. So just shows you. Um, the second race was won by, they do a reverse grid at the top eight, uh, um, in each of the second races. And the second race was also won by a Kiwi, uh, James Penrose, who is sponsored by Castrol. And uh, he's probably the oldest uh, driver in the championship. But um, so he's got a victory. But the big exciting news is that um, the third and final race of the weekend, the feature race, was won by David Morales of Florida. Uh, David's been um, racing in the UK and GP3. He also did the Asian F3 series. He's a great character. You'll love him. Um, and he is just firing on all cylinders. His first ever win uh, on this international scene. And, um, yeah, watch out. Here he comes. All right. So how about our young Austinite, uh, Ryan Sheehan? And, and, of course, Chloe Chambers will talk about her because she's coming up next after the break. Um, yeah, uh, Ryan doing great. Um, he's driving for Ryan uh, for uh, Giles Motorsport, who he drove, or Stephen Giles, who he drove with uh, and engineered by uh in the usa he had a good weekend but he had he made one mistake in race one uh, and it cost him because he got just too wide into one corner got l stuck out on the marbles and then just dinged the side of the car uh, and that that brought out the safety car so he didn't get a finish therefore had to start at the back for race two but he came through and, and in the third race he was fighting with jacob abel uh the other american uh from kentucky uh who is the indy lights star 
So Ryan actually held his own pretty well, pretty good against a very experienced 21-year-old. So hats off to the off tonight. Uh, good stuff. And as you say, Chloe's coming on the show. Ask her about her blisters. Um, but she's doing good. She got uh, into the top five at one point in the final race, but she's progressing slowly. And that's really what this championship's all about. Everybody talks about winning championships, but in five weeks, it's, it's hard. And really, it's just a learning curve to get ready for the season ahead. And she is looking to do the W season again. Uh, she was teammate with Jamie Chadwick, of course, last year. It's good to see you, my friend. And uh, we're going to let you go because we're going to go to the break and uh, hear from Chloe Chambers. Great. Next race is coming up in just a couple of days. We'll be at the southernmost point of the world. <laughs> All right, Johnny, talk to you soon. All right, man. Uh, towards Antarctica <laughs> next. But, hey, guys, I uh, talked to the producer, and we can skip the break. We've gotten all the messages from our sponsors in, so we're going to skip the break, and we're going to bring on our guest, Chloe Chambers, and I'm waiting for the thumbs up from the producer to make sure she is connected. And it looks like we've got – oh, she's got she's got camera issues on Zoom oh, and stuff. So there you go. Wait, there she is. <laughs> She had to unmute Hello. herself, like all of us. <laughs> like like everybody since the pandemic. <laughs> Chloe, thank you for uh, for joining us on Speed City. We're we're excited to have you. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, we've been uh, I've been studying your story. I, your name has been on my radar for a little while here, but I've been studying your story a little bit, and it's really fascinating. And I, I know that this deal going down to to New Zealand for the Toyota Racing Series and and now that they've changed it and having super license points, this is really exciting. But before we get there, why don't you give everybody a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I started racing go-karts when I was eight years old. Well, before that, mainly the interest in motorsports had come through my dad. And uh, he was a big Formula One fan. And um, obviously, he enjoyed watching it on the weekends. And so I would join in on that as well. And then uh, he also had a track car that he would go out and do track days and autocross days in. So I would kind of tag along in those. And um, I did that all through growing up. And then eventually I got bored and wanted to start driving myself. And uh, my parents did some research and they found a kart track near my house. And basically I started racing um, that next year. Mm. Well, you've uh, you've clearly had some success. You've got uh, so a couple of really cool accomplishments. You've had uh, you've been in the W Series, and you uh, you also has set a world record. Am I right about that? Yes. What, what was that in? What was that? What kind of car? And what was the record? Yeah. So the record it was for the fastest vehicular slalom, and I did it in a Porsche 718 Spider back in 2020. Ah, nice. Well, so um, Chloe, that, our friend Jonathan talked about uh, blisters. We have to ask you about <laughs> blisters. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so I would say Highlands is probably one of the most difficult tracks to learn in general. And then just physically, it was probably one of the more difficult ones, especially with how much track time we have. So, yeah, I got a blister on one of my hands. But, I mean, I've, you know, gotten them almost every time I've raced. So it's nothing really new. But, yeah um hopefully it's healed by next weekend it should be but yeah <laughs> well let's talk about what's going on down there in New Zealand and why you're there why did you choose to do this well I came and rate I came and tested back in September last year um that was 
in the middle of the summer break for W Series. And W Series throughout last year had borrowed these exact cars, the Toyota FT60s for two of the W Series rounds. And um, the other cars that we ran are very similar. So it was the best track time for me at that time of year. And then it kind of gave me the confidence to come and do the series um, in the winter time for everywhere else, basically. And so um, it's one of the only series that runs at this time of year. It's in a car that I can develop in and it's a car that I'm familiar in. So um, to prepare for, you know, what, whatever my 2023 holds, um, the Toyota Racing Series or the CT Frock now is um, the best place for me to come at this point. Mm. Hey, Chloe, has, uh, what are you hearing about the W Series? Will it be back and will you be a part of it if it is? So right now, not much is known about calendar or anything. I do know that we're supposed to hear some more in the coming months or so. And so um, at that time, I'll probably know more. I believe um, the series is still going to happen. I'm not entirely sure about calendar or anything, but um, if it does happen, I plan to be back as last year was only my first year in it. So, um, you know, just have another crack at it. And, um, you know, obviously it helps to further my development. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens with it. But yeah, I look forward to doing it if it does come back. You know, Chloe, this series is such such great experience. Uh, for example, if you if you know if you don't do W Series, where could you think that this will help you go in your career? So I would say, obviously, it's a Formula Regional spec car. Oh, um, basically, FIA F three would be the next step for me, and the step before FIA F three is Formula Regional. So um, I. For me, the plan is to get into FIA F3 for 2025. So this year and next year, I am just going to try to get as much testing as I can in Formula Regional spec machinery, um, whether that's European Formula Regional, uh, Formula Regional Oceana, uh, you know, just kind of whatever I can get into that'll prepare me for the next step. We're running out of time, Chloe, but I've got to ask you, I met your team owner, uh, Ms. Jenner, uh, when she was Bruce Jenner, Olympic champion and racing driver and quite a decent one, too. Have you had much back and forth with your boss about uh, about race driving? And we have less than a minute left. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, Caitlin loves race cars. She loves sports. She's got a lot of experience in it and also being such a high profile person in general, just like, I guess, celebrity, you could say. And so I guess the insights that she's had in that kind of world are all is all new to me. So. Um, you know, whatever she's, whatever kind of advice she's given me has definitely been a big help. All right. Well, we really appreciate it, Chloe. We appreciate you coming on, but best of luck to you down there. And we're going to be watching because there's lots of racing to come. I want to thank you for coming on. Thank all of our guests and uh, thanks to everyone listening. And we will talk to you next Sunday night. Thanks, Chloe. Thank you.